All right, well, let me thank those of you who are here today, as well as those joining us in the venue and online. I'm not sure what you're seeing in the venue online, but we're doing a reboot right now. Um, if you're in this room, you saw a double image of Pastor Jason a little bit earlier. And so I called up to the booth and I said, hey, y'all can't put a double image of me up. People will close their eyes and they'll fall asleep, so we can't have that. So they're working to get the system uh, rebooted. We're in 1 John this morning. If you're reading with us through the New Testament this year, we're getting close, folks. Getting close. Hang in there. Get caught up. Whatever you need to do. But this week, you read the entire letter of 1 John, all five chapters. And if you've never read through the New Testament before, or maybe never really looked into 1 John before, you might not have realized how intensely practical the book of 1 John is. It's much like James. It's very simple uh, very direct to the point, nothing that's hard to understand. John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, is the same John who wrote uh, the Gospel of John, and he's reminding believers of the importance of fellowship with God and the importance of walking uh, in obedience. Now, if you've been born again uh, by reading 1st John, you've been reminded that you've received the Spirit of God, you live by abiding in Him and Him abiding in you, and the result of that, the result of you knowing and, and loving God is going to be the reflection of certain characteristics in your life or, or certain fruit that is obviously displayed. And I want to point out seven of those this morning that John covers. Now, uh, let, me, let me first list the seven. The first one is that you're going to pursue, for you note takers, you may want to get this down, you're going to pursue uh, God's will, not your own desires. Secondly, you're not, if you're a true follower of Christ, you're not going to go on living in sin. Uh, thirdly, related to that, you're going to be very faithful uh, to practice regular confession of sin. Then you're going to practice righteousness. You're going to walk uh, like Jesus walked. You're going to obey God's commands, and you're going to love the brothers. Those are the seven things. Now, let me just tell you, this may get a little bit frustrating. John, you may have noticed as you read this week, John, I don't know if he's got some kind of ADD thing going on or what, but John will introduce a topic one of those, and then he'll just move on to something else, and then a chapter or two later, he'll come back. So guess what? This morning, as we walk thematically through the letter of 1 John, we're going to be skipping around a lot through Scripture. I hope we're going to have Scripture on the screen. I don't know if we've got the situation resolved or not, but I will tell you what the Scripture is. You guys that are note-takers will want to jot down these references, especially if they don't appear on the screen. I'm going to read them for you, but let me just say so you don't get too frustrated. Always remember that the message every Sunday is on our app, typically by Tuesday morning. By the time they get it fixed and ready to go, it's on the app. And listen, if you're really intense on wanting to know, hey, what was that scripture you covered? You can email me anytime, any week, and I will send you my notes from the message, and you can look at that. So if it's not on the screen, do we know if it's going to be on the screen yet? Yes, no, we're still rebooting. Who knows? If it's not up there, Jot down the references, and that'll help you as we, as we walk through. All right, number one, the true believer, true follower of Christ, does or pursues God's will, not his own desires. In, in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, he writes these words, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away, and so are its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, when John talks about not loving the world, he's not referring, when he says world, he's not referring to the earth per se, but the organized system of this world that is uh, headed by Satan. 
And he's saying, if you're not careful, these things of the world are going to draw you away from God's love and from God's will. Because when the world, when the things of the world have your affections and the things of the world govern your choices, you're going to sin and you're going to violate God's will. And, and as a believer, you must understand, first of all, the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, those things that so many people pursue are not ultimately going to fulfill your desires. You're going to come to the end of that time of pursuing those things. The world will be empty. And as a believer, you have to understand that. And you have to understand also what John says here. Everything that is in the world is going to come to an end. You need to be thinking eternally. The life that we have here is so short. It's just a, a, a vapor, James says. Your life is a vapor. It's here one day and gone the next. It's such a short thing. You've got to recognize that it's going to come to an end. So the bottom line for the believer, John is saying here, the bottom line for the believer is recognize that living for and loving things of the world is going to lead you to sin. It's going to break fellowship with God, and consequently, you're not going to be able uh, to do his will if you're loving and pursuing the things of the world. So the first characteristic of the, of the true follower of Christ is he's pursuing God's will, not his own desire. Secondly, he doesn't live in sin. The true follower of Christ does not live in sin. First John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 6. 9 and 10. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. And we're going to get to that last phrase in just a bit here. But notice what John is saying. He's not saying that a believer does not sin. But he is saying anytime we're not abiding in Christ, we risk falling into sin. You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we shouldn't refer to ourselves as sinners. If you've been saved by grace, you're no longer a sinner. That's not the, the character of your life. You still are going to sin as a believer, but you're not a sinner. Well, John is saying, look, the one who's born of God, look what he says, does not make a practice of sinning. That's different. It's not saying you don't sin, but you don't make a practice. It's not your habit of sinning. So, so why do we still sin? Well, John mentions here the new life that God has given us is a seed. Okay, when you plant the seed, if, if you nourish it properly, it takes root and it begins to grow. Well, God has planted the seed of a new life in us. The problem is it's been planted in a soul that has been damaged by sin. Or, or think of it as soil. There were weeds, a lot of weeds, nothing but weeds growing in the soil that represents you, your soul, your heart. God has planted his seed, but we still have to contend with those weeds. And those weeds or our flesh is not going to be completely eradicated until Jesus returns. So until then, what do we do? Well, we continually repent of sin. It's not just recognizing we've sinned. It's turning from. It's going in a different direction. We repent of sin. We return to submission to God's word. We say, I'm not going to do that that way because that's sin. I'm going to do this God's way. I'm going to submit to God's word. And we have to in ourselves purpose Every day, we have to get up every day and make the decision, I'm going to walk with the Spirit of God because when I'm walking with the Spirit of God, he helps me with the control of the weeds and allows the seed that God has planted in me to grow. 
So the one who's a true believer, he doesn't say he doesn't sin, but he doesn't practice sin. He doesn't go on in sin. He doesn't continue in sin. And that brings us to the third characteristic you see in 1 John related to the believer, and that is that the believer confesses sin and receives forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What is John saying? Well, we can't deny that we sin. We, we, we can't act like it doesn't happen. In fact, just denying that we sin makes us a liar. So, so we're a sinner. If I asked you today, how many of you uh, no longer sin? If you raise your hand, you're a sinner. Why? Because he says you're a liar. You can't say you didn't sin. And in fact, if you convince yourself of that, that self-deception is going to put you in a very precarious position. The more you try to convince yourself that you haven't sinned or that your sin doesn't matter, the harder your heart gets toward God, the more, the more scarred your heart becomes, and, and it becomes very difficult to hear the Holy Spirit when he convicts you of sin. No, we are sinners. What John is saying here is the good news is when we confess, we receive not only forgiveness, but also what? We, we covered this a couple weeks ago. What do we get besides forgiveness when we confess? Cleansing. We get cleansing. Now, now let me clarify. When we talk about confessing sin, it's agreeing with what God's Word says about our actions and our behavior. It's not saying, well, well I made a mistake. It's not saying, well, that's just a bad habit I have. That, that's just who I am. It's not saying, well, I can't help it that I act that way, respond that way. It has to do with how I was raised. No, when we agree with God and we admit that we've sinned, we receive forgiveness and cleansing. And because we're not only forgiven but also cleansed, we no longer walk around burdened. Listen, if you're a true follower of Christ and you sin, carrying that sin is a tremendous burden. It just eats you up like a cancer from the inside. You've got to get rid of. You've got to, to deal with that sin. And when he forgives and cleanses, you no longer have that burden. You no longer feel tainted and unworthy. And you're no longer in a position where you're powerless. You wonder what's wrong with your life as a believer. You look at other people. You see the power of God at work in them. You say, well, that's not happening in me. It's because there's sin in your life. And he'll forgive and he will cleanse the sin. Listen, as believers, our confession needs to be immediate. The minute you sin, if you belong to Christ, the minute you sin, the Holy Spirit who lives in you doesn't always fill you if there's sin in your life and you're quenching him, but he lives in you. And the minute you sin, he's going to convict you of that sin. And guess when it's time to confess your sin and repent of your sin? At the moment of conviction. Someone told me early on in my life as a young believer, keep short accounts with God. Listen, don't let the list grow all week and then spend Sunday morning before you come to church trying to confess all the sins that you committed that week so God will be pleased with your worship. No, keep short accounts with God. When the Spirit convicts you of sin, you confess and you receive forgiveness and cleansing. Number four, the true believer in Christ practices truth or, or practices righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, 29 and chapter 3, 7, and 10, here's what it says. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 
By this it is evident all who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What's he saying? He's saying a true believer is evident because he does what? He practices righteousness. Now listen, someone who belongs to Christ is only righteous for one reason, because Jesus is righteous. It's Jesus' righteousness that is given to us and his righteousness that is operating through us. The only way that we're enabled to live the life that God calls us to live is because of the righteousness of Jesus. And if you're living in the righteousness of Jesus, his righteousness should be evident in you and it should make it very evident that you belong to him. Let's go a little further with this idea of practicing righteousness, and that's the fifth thing I want you to see from 1 John. The true believer who's walking in the righteousness of Jesus is easy to spot because he imitates Jesus. He, he or she walks like Jesus walks. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, and chapter 2, verse 6. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What's he saying? He's saying, look, if you claim to be in Christ, it should be evident by how you live. If you claim to be in Christ, if your neighbors, if your work associates, if people who are acquaintances or friends of yours know that you claim to be in Christ, they should be able to not only hear it from your mouth, but see it in your life. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. We're not perfect as believers. You know, sometimes your friends and neighbors and, and work associates can learn as much about how you respond when you fail, when you fall short, when you sin. They can learn as much from that as they can from you trying to live a perfect life. We're, we're not perfect. Only God is light. We simply have to choose to walk in the light. You know, Jesus said that the way, the, the gate is narrow and, and the path, the way is narrow. We've got to walk in the light in order that we stay on that narrow path. And as we're walking in the light, it exposes any sin and any darkness in us. When we're, when we're walking in the light, God is continually going to reveal our sin, and at that moment when our sin is revealed and we confess, what does he say? The blood of Jesus cleanses us. What does that do? It allows us to go on to maturity. It allows us to go on to sanctification. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the principle of sanctification, justification, two parts of the salvation process. Justified, justification happens at the moment that you trust Christ. The minute that you trust Christ to save you, you are justified. You are made right with God. You are reconciled with God. That broken relationship has been restored. At the moment you surrender your life to Christ, you're justified. But the process of sanctification is going to continue all through this life to the very end as you mature in Christ and become more like Christ. Well, as you're walking in the light, as you're imitating the life of Christ, when you get off course, when you, when you have the darkness exposed in you, you confess, then Jesus cleanses and allows you to grow on in sanctification. It's only when you're fully exposed to the truth that you can be cleansed and empowered. And that's what it means to walk with Jesus, to continually stay in connection with him, to maintain your fellowship with him, and to walk faithfully in him, to imitate his life as you practice righteousness. Here's the sixth thing that John mentions about those who are uh, in Christ. We keep and we obey his commands. 
chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. What's he saying? Well, when we truly love God, when we truly love God, our desire will be toward greater obedience. When we truly love God, when we know him, there's going to be a deepening fellowship with him. When, when we truly love God, when we know him, there's going to be a greater experiential knowledge. As we walk with God and, and we obey him and we love him, we experience more and more of his work in us. We come to know him more and more by our own personal experience. There's going to be a growing uh, closeness. Knowing God is more than saving faith. It's what we just talked about a moment ago. It's not just justification. It's sanctification. Knowing God is more than just, hey, I, I recognize that Christ died for me. I prayed and asked him into my life and made him Lord and Savior of my life. No, it's the process that goes on from there. It's the deep desire to walk with him and become more like the Savior. So those who truly know him and love him keep his commandments. Listen to chapter 3 and verse 22. Here's another interesting word on keeping his commandments. Chapter 3, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Isn't that interesting? There's a benefit to you and me for keeping his commandments. When we keep his commandments, then we're able to come before God with confidence knowing that we will receive whatever we ask. Now, that sounds like a dangerous thing to say. Hey, you can just ask God and receive anything. But you understand that when you're walking with God... When you're obeying his commands, when the most important thing to you is your love for him, your obedience to him, then you're going to ask the right things. You're going to ask things that are according to his will. James says you, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. You don't ask for the right things. No, God is more than willing to answer your prayer when you're in line with his will. But a big stumbling block to prayer is a lack of confidence. When we're not walking with him, we, we don't we don't feel like we can come with confidence. When we're not being obedient, how could we come before God with confidence? No, John says, you're confident because you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you. What is he saying? Well, the spirit indwells you and what enables the spirit to fill you is your obedience. You see, if you're a believer at the moment of salvation, you receive the Spirit of God. That's the down payment of your inheritance. You receive the Spirit of God at that moment, but that doesn't mean that you're always filled with and walking in the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit when you're obedient. And when you're in fellowship and you're obedient, you're going to ask for the right things. Look at one other word he says about keeping the commandments of God. Chapter 5 and verse 3. Chapter 5 and verse 3. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now listen to this next line. And his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, the Christian life is certainly challenging, but it shouldn't feel burdensome. When you're obeying God and that obedience of God is out of a, a great, it, it's driven by a love for him, it's not burdensome. Jesus, you remember Jesus in, in Matthew 11 
and verse 30, he was talking to the disciples and others who were weary because life was hard and following Christ was hard. And he said to them very simply, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why did he say that? You know, get the, get the picture of a yoke in your mind. A yoke was, was a, a harness, if you will, that was put on, on an oxen to, to plow or to, or to pull a burden. But typically, a yoke was put on two oxen. And they worked together to, to haul that burden or to plow that field. Jesus' yoke on you is easy. You know why? You know who's there paired up with you? The Holy Spirit. Jesus. The Holy Spirit's paired up with you. Jesus was able to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because he's saying to you, look, when you're walking with me, I'm pulling for you. I'm with you in the journey. Well, one final characteristic that John mentions of a true believer, he mentions this characteristic more than a dozen times, more than any other characteristic, and that is that we love others, or specifically, we love the brothers. Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Chapter 3, verse 11 and 16 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And then chapter 4, all through chapter 4, he talks about loving God and loving our brothers. Look down at chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Boy, John uses that word a lot, doesn't he? He's really getting in your face if you're not obeying what God says. If anyone loves, says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, John talks a lot about loving the brother, and quite frankly, the word love is a little bit more difficult for us to comprehend because it's so watered down in our language and our culture, it's basically reduced to, to sentimental feelings. You know, in the ancient Greek, they had six different words for love because they all represented a different nuance for what we have as one word in our language, but in all of 1 John, you can go back and look. Every time the word love is used, it refers to only one of the six words for love. It's the word agapao. You've probably heard of agape love. What is that? Well, it, it's the kind of love God has for us. It's completely selfless. It's a love that is inexhaustible. It's a love that's always looking out for the good of the other, not for its own, own good. It's always looking for a righteous way to uh, fulfill the needs of another person. It's the love that God has for us, but here John is using that word for love, not to refer to God's love for us alone, but to refer to how we are supposed to love others. And so John repeatedly refers to our calling to love 
our brothers as God has loved us. And I would say that that constant repetition certainly symbolizes the importance of loving the brothers. In fact, I think John is saying here the ultimate uh, symptom or indicator of a proper love for God is a proper love for his children. Let's say that you go to the doctor this week and you make an appointment to see your doctor and, and, and when they ask you, well, why are you coming in? And you say, well, I have the flu. And so you go in to see the doctor and the doctor examines you and the doctor asks you a lot of questions and the doctor realizes you don't have a single symptom for the flu. You know what your doctor's going to say to you? You don't have the flu. Well, John is saying here, listen, if you say you love God, let's go look at your symptoms, and this symptom should always be present if you love God. You should love the brothers. Remember in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus was saying, hey, I was hungry, you fed me, I was sick, you took care of me, I was in prison, you visited me, I had no clothes, you clothed me. You remember he said all that, and then the righteous asked him, when did we do all those things for you? And he said, when you did it to whom? The least of these. Let me make a bold statement to you this morning based on Matthew chapter 25. You love God no more than you love the least. You can't love God more than you love the least. John said it is vital that we love specifically, he says, the brothers. And I would say we can summarize the importance of love for one another and the demonstration of how we love one another in a verse we just read, chapter 3 and verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's evident that we love others when we're continually looking to meet their needs and looking to fulfill their needs, not for anything that we would benefit, but simply to demonstrate our love for them. That's what John is saying here. Now, John's letter, 1 John 1 through 5, has been all about the characteristics that should be evident, the, the fruit that is on display in the life of the believer. And this one, this last one, is probably uh, the most obvious to others and to us. It's, it's very, very clear whether or not we love the brothers. And God's love is most clearly reflected in us when we're loving others, especially those who are part of the family. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. John doesn't address this. I'm telling you what John says. We're certainly, we can look in Scripture and see we're certainly called to, to demonstrate God's love to a world that needs to know him. But in this case, John is talking specifically about the family. It's kind of like the old saying, if it don't work at home, don't export it. Right? John is saying, look, we're called, it starts, the way we love our world, it starts with loving our family. Paul in Galatians 6.10 said, look, as you have opportunity, uh, do good to all men, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Our following Christ should be evident in, in all of these ways, but John specifically here really drives home the point that we need to love one another. Well, here's the question this morning then. How do, how do we do these, these seven things? How do we pursue God's will and not our own desires? How do we make sure that we're not living in sin? How do we make sure that we're practicing confession regularly, that we're practicing righteousness, that we're walking like Jesus walked, that we're obeying God's command, that we're loving the brothers? How, how do we do all that? There's a key word that's throughout 1 John 1 through 5, and it shouldn't surprise you because the same author who wrote 1 John wrote 
the Gospel of John, it's the same word that he uses in John 15 in the Gospel. Remember John 15? He talks about the vine and the branches. And the key to that whole passage is this one five-letter word, abide. In fact, he says in John 15, 5, if you're not abiding in me, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. You, you can't live the way that you've been called to live as a Christ follower if you're not abiding in Christ. Someone told me once when I was first learning how to spend uh, time in God's Word on a daily basis, I had a, a mentor tell me, look, if you miss one day of meeting with God, he'll know it. If you miss two days, you'll know it. If you miss three days, everyone around you will know it. Why? Because you're not going to be living the way that God has called you to live. So John reminds us of the importance of abiding in Christ so that we can reflect and display all these characteristics that should be true of us as followers of Christ. You know, it's all last week in, in 2 Peter 3, Peter reminded us that Jesus' return was going to be sudden and that we had better be ready. Well, John also is trying to help and prepare us. Let me close with one last verse from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. He says, and now, little children, here's that word, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back at his coming.